the temptation of Christ, the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4. Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for inspiring the men who wrote it, in this case, the Apostle Matthew. We thank you, Lord, for preserving it over the centuries that we may have it. And we thank you that the evidence that we have is that what we have 2,000 years after he wrote it is still very, very accurate, accurate replication of what Matthew actually wrote. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the evidence. And we thank you for the words that you speak by your Holy Spirit through him. We pray, Lord, that as we study this this morning, that you would speak to each one of us and help us to apply this to our own lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus had just come up out of the water. He had the Holy Spirit alight upon him as a dove. And he heard the wonderful affirmation of God the Father speaking from heaven. Certainly, it was a, a wonderful way to enter into the public ministry that Jesus was about to do. But first, there was to be a testing. And we read this in the first 11 verses. Let's look at this together. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, 
for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now the first thing we see here is the Holy Spirit, who had just alighted upon Jesus as a dove, but was now leading him out into the harsh Judean wilderness, specifically to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want to show you this picture behind me. That is the Judean wilderness. So that is the, the place where these events take place. Very, very barren, very dry, nothing living. A rough place, a very difficult place. But I want you to note that God, the Holy Spirit, is not the one who is going to tempt Jesus. It is the devil who's going to do that. We know from James 1.13 that God doesn't ever tempt anyone, but he does test people. Examples we have is he tested Abraham. You'll recall in Genesis 22, when God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And we know that God even uses Satan to test people, as he did with Job. And he's now going to do with Jesus. Interestingly, the Greek word that's translated tempted also means to test or to prove as in testing the quality of something or someone, which is what God did with Abraham and Job and is doing here with Jesus in order to demonstrate Jesus' perfection as a human being who is also the Messiah, God the Son. You may recall the writer of Hebrews emphasizes this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's a very important verse, because it tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, as we are, yet he did not sin. He never succumbed. Now, we're told here that Jesus fasted 40 days and nights. Interestingly, that's also what Moses did when he was on top of Mount Sinai, when he was receiving the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9. In fact, it says, I'll read this. Moses wrote, he said, When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant 
which the Lord made with you. And then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Truly, that's miraculous. We also know that Elijah, when he was fleeing Jezebel after slaying 450 prophets of Baal, he fled to what's called Mount Horeb, which is another name from Mount Sinai. And he fled, and it took him 40 days and nights to get there, during which time he neither ate nor drank during that time. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 19. Back to our text. Then we read in verse 2, it says, Afterward, he was hungry. <laughs> That's rather an understatement after 40 days of fasting. But it sets the stage for Satan's first temptation. <clears throat> we read, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So he was aiming at Jesus' weak physical state and his hunger. And the devil challenges him to use his divine powers, if he really has any, to satisfy his hunger and thus to demonstrate his deity. But Jesus won't have it. And even in his physically weakened state, Jesus proclaims his priorities. In verse 4, it says, He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, Satan tried to do to Jesus the same thing he did to Eve that we read a few minutes ago. To question the very words of God. Remember at his baptism, the Father had proclaimed from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Satan directly challenged what the Father said that Jesus is the Father's beloved Son. With his snide use of the conditional word, if, even as he directly contradicted God's word to Eve, after she told the serpent that God had said, if they ate of the tree, they would die. When Satan replied to her, you will not surely die directly contradicting God. I have to tell you, from my own personal experiences in recent days, Satan is constantly, and probably not him, but one of his demons, whispering in our ears direct contradictions of what God says in his word. I'm constantly hearing whispers in my ear. God's not real. You're not really saved. 
God doesn't mean what he says in his word all the time. Constant spiritual battle. But again, as in the first case, Jesus wouldn't take the bait. And instead, he proclaimed the very importance and priority of God's word by quoting scripture. In this case, it was Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So the devil tried another tact. Since Jesus had replied to his first temptation with scripture, the devil's figured, well, I'll use that too. So we read in verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, again, there's this word, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now the pinnacle of the temple was a high place up on the top of the temple, about 450 feet above the Kidron Valley. And evidently here, and in the third temptation, the devil somehow has the ability to manipulate Jesus' physical location, either actually, but more likely as, as a vision. So he put Christ on this pinnacle, and then he challenges him, challenges him to perform a stunt that can be seen by the crowds in the temple courts below to demonstrate his deity with supernatural powers, to jump off and then to safely land by being held up by angels. This temptation was to show Jesus as a, a miracle worker and thereby to attract people to follow him and the devil did this by misapplying the scripture in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Now, if we go to that psalm, in its context, these verses refer to trusting God. But Satan is using them to tempt Jesus to test God. But again, Jesus won't have it. And he responds with properly applied scripture. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Or an even better translation in the English Standard Version. He says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, you may remember after the Exodus, after the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness, they actually tested God 
through Moses. Actually, a number of times, but the one referred to here is they were demanding that Moses produce water where there wasn't any, rather than trusting Yahweh in faith. Since God had always provided, even when it seemed impossible. But instead of just trusting by faith that God would do so, they challenged him through Moses. Referring to that many years later, Moses spoke the words that Jesus quotes here in Deuteronomy 6.16. Now, the devil used scripture, as I said, but he took it out of context. And he bent its meaning to fit his own advantage. There's an important lesson for you and me here. Unless we are careful and honest with God's word by interpreting it in its cultural, historical, and literary context, our application of God's word can be a perversion of the scripture. Unfortunately, Christians sometimes fall prey to the temptation to seek proof texts to back, to back up an idea of our own rather than being honest with the scripture. This is called eisegesis, and it means that instead of drawing meaning from the text, we attempt to force our desired meaning onto the text, as Satan does here. Another way to put it is that we must always submit to the Word of God as God has given it to us and never attempt to put our words or meaning. I'll have to come back to it with you. But basically it's, you see, Jesus knew the scripture well. So he said, it is written again with a direct answer to Satan's temptation. When Satan said, I'm sorry, when Jesus responded and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus understood the word and discerning the devil's misquote. He was true to the meaning of God's word. So having failed twice, the devil pulls out the stops and goes straight for the jugular with his third temptation. Verse 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. We get a bit more information from Luke's version in Luke chapter 4, verses 5, 6, and 7. 
It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Again, the devil was using a vision, and this one was really amazing. He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That wasn't just the kingdoms that existed at that time, but over all time. Every kingdom of human history, including our future, from Nimrod's Babylon to whatever is yet to come. He showed them all to Jesus at once, showing to a great degree the very reason for Jesus becoming a man, for his incarnation. Why did Jesus come why did God the Son become human? It was to win over all of mankind and to die for the sins of mankind that we be saved. It's really what God promised in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Let me go to it. And that I do have. <laughs> Psalm 2 verse 8 you open your Bibles to that and we see that he is talking in verse, we'll start in verse 7 he says I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me you are my son which he just did at Jesus' baptism. He said, Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So he promised this to Jesus. But now Satan is saying, I'll give it to you if you worship me. I want you to note Jesus doesn't contradict Satan when the devil said, It has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Back when Adam obeyed the serpent in the garden by eating of the fruit, he handed over the authority over the earth that had been given to him by God in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 28. I'll read that to you. It said, And God blessed Adam. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion, that's authority, over the fish of the sea, 
and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God had given Adam the authority over the earth. But when Adam obeyed Satan, he transferred that authority to the devil. That is why we see the devil called three times by Jesus in John, the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul calls him the God of this age. And again, John in 1 John, he says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's the situation we're in now. So the devil tempted Jesus with the very thing he'd come to earth for. And he tempted him to have it without going to the cross. It's a strong temptation. But Jesus would have to bow down and worship the devil, which, of course, he would never do. You see, getting the right thing in the wrong way is wrong. And Jesus answered Satan in the strongest terms, citing and paraphrasing again from Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. And in the process, he told the devil to beat it. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So very important and so very powerful. Folks, there is never, there can be never any justification to worship anyone or anything besides the Lord our God. And of course, Jesus held to that as we must also, no matter how strenuous or dangerous the consequences may be. Unfortunately, there are many examples of people who, in effect, worship other things above God today, things that they make more important than God. Sometimes it's a car. Maybe it's their spouse. Maybe it's their children. Maybe it's their job. Maybe it's football. Things that they effectively put in their lives as more important than God. A very strong example happened in the early church. People in the early church were commanded to worship Caesar. All they had to do was burn a pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. That's all they had to do. And they'd be fine. But if they wouldn't do it, they'd be killed. 
and many of them were martyred because they would not do that. They would not disobey the command of the Lord to worship Yahweh only. In fact, for those who succumb to this out of fear of being killed, for those who did that, and they went ahead and they burned that incense, and they said, Caesar is Lord, the church had a problem with that for many, many years afterwards, saying, what do we, what do, we do with these people? They compromised their faith. What do we do with them? And the church had many debates and struggled with how do they treat people who chose to, just for a moment, worship Caesar above God? They came up with many answers, but it was an important thing and very, very serious. Now, remember that Jesus had been wandering in the wilderness. He'd been fasting for 40 days and nights. He was terribly hungry, totally exhausted, but he still had the strength to resist every temptation the devil threw at him. Then the devil left, and God sent his angels. Verse 11, we read, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Again, in Luke's account, we have some additional information with a, a rumbling portent of Jesus' future. In Luke chapter 4, verse 13, we read, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. So the devil wasn't finished. He wasn't totally defeated yet. He wasn't finished with Jesus. And as we know, he came at him with a vengeance later, near the end of Jesus' ministry. He even came through him through Peter. You'll remember when Jesus and his disciples were up at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus had just asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter had answered wonderfully and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus patted Peter on the back pretty much. He said, Right on, Peter. You didn't get that yourself. That came from my father. But that was the right answer. And then Jesus told him that, told the disciples, that he was going to be arrested, killed, but that he'd rise again on the third day. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. And Jesus answered, he said, Get behind me, Satan. It's 
So Satan used Peter momentarily to tempt Jesus to not do what he had to do. And we know he also used the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, and eventually through Pontius Pilate and the cross. And of course, in the cross, we know that's where Jesus finally defeated the devil. But to return to our text, certainly the strongest application for us, for you and for me and for all Christians, is the way that Jesus responded to every temptation by quoting the word of God. It is written, Jesus said. This is one of the reasons, folks, that we always emphasize the importance of reading, studying, and knowing the Bible. The importance of memorizing and meditating on Scripture. Remember, Paul calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. And indeed, it is our most powerful weapon for both defense and offense as we engage in spiritual battles against the devil and his demons. <clears throat> right now, it is obvious that the spiritual battle around the world is greatly intensifying. And it's touching every serious Christian. So be responsible and prepare yourselves by taking in the Word of God, at least on a daily basis. And in those areas of life where you know you are the weakest, where you know you are the most vulnerable. Where are those areas of temptation where you, you fail the most often? Be aware of those and then find scripture that are relevant to those areas and plant them firmly in your heart. Memorize them, have them in your mind so that you can draw them out at the right time. And when you are tempted, you too can say, it is written. Huh. I know for me, for most of my life, one of the strongest areas of temptation is my temper. Blowing up, getting angry in a moment. And the first verse that the Lord actually burned in my mind was James chapter 1, verse 20. where he says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It's the first one, the first verse. Again, I didn't even have to study it to memorize it. The Lord burned it in my mind because I had exploded 
one time when I was when I was driving, somebody cut me off and I let my anger get a hold of me. I was driving a truck that had a fish symbol on the back. I was a new Christian. I was very excited about my new faith. So I had that Christian symbol on the back of my truck. This guy cut me off, so I cut him off. And then he came by again. Our windows were open. It was summertime. And what he yelled, he yelled some curses, but he wasn't cursing me. He said, blankety blank, you Christians. Because he'd seen that symbol on the back of my truck. I realized that by my temper, I had embarrassed my Lord. I brought shame to his name and to his church. I pulled over to the side of the road and I was broken. Confessed. And then when I opened my Bible when I got home, it just so happened that the very first verse I came to I was reading in James, and I came to that verse, and it just burned in my mind. So, we all have areas of weakness. We all have areas where the devil can get to us. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. We all have those areas. Find scripture that relates to those and memorize them so you can speak them back when you're tempted. Say, it is written. It is written. I know many men who have problems with lust and pornography who memorize that verse in Matthew 5 where Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery already. It's very convicting. So do that. Find those verses. And along with many others, Memorize them so you can speak them back to the devil, but not just those. Read your Bible, and when you come across verses that just hit you, write them down. Put the, Write them down on a card. Memorize them. Meditate on them. Talk to God about them. Then you can use them when you're tempted. Because the spiritual battle is raging. And every one of us has whispers coming into our, our mind because the enemy wants to take us down. 
He can't take away our salvation, but he can take away our effectiveness as followers of Christ. Don't let him do it. Do what Jesus did. And be ready to come back with, it is written, using the sword of the Spirit. And Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to reach, reach deep into each of us. I pray, Lord, that as we read your word, as we take in your word, as we study your word, that you would burn those verses into our minds. Help us, Lord, to memorize them. Help us, Lord, to use your word as we are engaged in spiritual battle with the enemy that hates us because he hates you and we belong to you. Father, I thank you for the example of our Lord Jesus. I thank you for the fact that he was tempted in every way and yet he never sinned. He did not sin. So we know that he understands he understands and he can empathize with us when we are tempted. And then by the strength of your spirit within us, in your words, in our minds and our hearts, we too can be victorious over the devil as our Lord was there in the wilderness. Thank you. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen.